Hi, I'm Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School, and welcome to our Happy Startup Community Podcast. Along this journey of building the Happy Startup School, I've had the privilege of meeting amazing people from around the world. Whether it was across a banqueting table at our summer camp festival, or sat at a beach cafe in Goa during one of our retreats, each of them had fascinating stories to tell and interesting ideas to share that have changed how I look at business and life. This podcast is my effort to share these conversations with you and to open up your horizons to new perspectives and ways of viewing the world. I hope that they become a source of inspiration, learning and connection. Enjoy. In this episode of the podcast, I talk to Ebony Allard about self-knowledge and creating more alignment in your life. Because no matter where you go, you'll be there too, so it's useful to know who you are. If you if you ever got to a period in your life when you've looked around and asked yourself the question, is this it? Then you'll be interested in Ebony's journey of going from misfit to maven. This story is for anyone who's felt like they didn't know where they fit and is searching for their unique place of contribution in the world, a place of authentic success. During the conversation, we discuss the process of adulting and the idea of shifting your perspective from life happening to you to life happening for you. So I hope you enjoy this episode. That's it's interesting that the, the the shadow side to flow is uh, wetting yourself. It's annoying, isn't it? I love that this is how we're starting. <laughs> yes. I, I can remember doing a whole webinar, um, live webinar for one of our courses uh, and then only realising at the end I wasn't recording. And thinking, ah. yeah, I was going to say, how do you feel about swearing on this podcast? <laughs> oh, we can fucking swear till the cows come home. Okay, so I'm not it. saying I'm gonna, but it's the only question I ever have for people on podcasts. <laughs> like, I have a sweary yeah, mouth unless know. I'm careful. Ah, uh, no, I'm not sure what it means in terms of iTunes and any other kind of podcasting platforms yeah we just uh, have explicit on all of ours because it's adult content and i it just means that everyone's free to say what they like but i'm i i won't on purpose i just you know i like to know that i'm allowed and that you won't be upset <laughs> well if it adds to the the color of the conversation then i'm i have no objections to to a little bit of swearing Excellent. And yes, if it's adult conversations, I'm not surprised. Uh, we, you're very involved in adulting. I, I am. I am. I like to, I'm trying to reclaim the word. I think that uh, responsibility has got a bad rap and I'd like to help us all be a little bit more self-responsible. Yeah, I was curious about that term when I first, I was listening to a couple of your podcasts and reading up a bit more about where you're at at the moment. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I, could you explain a bit more what what you mean by adulting in your in your frame of reference? Yeah, of course. Adulting to me is. <laughs> Do you know how many times I've we've done a hundred episodes? Why can I not answer this? <laughs> um, adulting is being kick-ass and kind, and taking radical responsibility for your human experience whilst staying as playful and as true to your soul essence as you can and mm. finding the right ratios of everything in order to 
maintain that balance. And it's for me, it's a little bit like yoga in that there's external forces and internal forces at all times pulling and pushing you and therefore maintaining a sense of equilibrium. Hmm. And what is the definition of being an adult or adulting that you think people are using that that spurred that spurred you to create your this definition every time anyone hears the word adulting they're like oh it sucks or oh it's so hard right like they it's um what's so interesting to me is that most people spend most of their childhood wanting to grow up already and be an adult and then as soon as they become an adult they're like oh this sucks i want to be a teenager or a kid again and so for me, I'm like, well, just be present and be okay with what is. And that's adulting. Okay. So as I, I remember being a kid saying, I wish I was an adult. I could make my own choices and make my own decisions and be in, in charge of what I need to do and um, be able to basically not be told what to do. Uh, and then you become an adult and then, why here and sometimes what I was like someone tell me what to do (laughs) I don't want all of these choices (laughs) it's all just a bit too overwhelming yeah someone give me an answer yeah and you know what all else and and you know to segue into a bit into my story I guess um I built my first business based on musts and shoulds and expectations and what I thought people wanted of me and expected of me and what I thought it meant to be a grown-up and what I thought it meant to be an adult and a business owner and an entrepreneur. And it tore me apart and pulled me in so many different directions that I was burnt out and had a breakdown and was completely exhausted. And so adulting isn't that. Mm. And so maybe through maybe through just talking a bit more about your story we can may understand this evolution from one version of being an adult to maybe a more empowered version of being an adult and mm. i remember i actually have very clear memories of being i think it was either the metropole or the grand and you had organized a some kind of social it was a lunch um I can even, I can, it was a blue sky, and I can remember looking out into the sea, and there was about 12 of us around the dining table. And at the time, you were running, oh, I forget the name, in, in total, something about Friday, My, My Girl Friday, was that? It was. It was My Girl Friday, and we had a hilarious dinner, which we called It's a Supper Club, yeah. <laughs> and it was a Fish Friday. That's Fish <laughs> Friday, that's it. <laughs> And we had about 10 to 12 people sitting around a dinner table at the Grand Hotel eating fish and chips, looking out on the sea and having real conversations with real people. Mm. Yes. And I can remember that's what attracted me to that. It was like, oh, this isn't just about swapping business cards uh, and and yeah, listening to a talk. It was about about real conversations. And I remember, I don't know if it was talking to you, but hearing more about that time, you know, it seemed like a pretty busy business that you were running at the time. Mm. It was. I stepped out of the film industry to start that business. And lots of people know it now, but not many people knew it then. I started My Girl Friday from £25,000 worth of debt 
and homeless and not the kind of homeless where you're on the street but the kind of homeless where I did spend a couple of nights sleeping in my car and I mostly slept on people's sofas and that's not a very fun place to start a business from but it's a very motivating Mm. place to start a business from and And, go on oh no uh, well I I was going to say so there seems I wanted to try and maybe paint a full picture of this journey because um Maybe we just rewind a bit more then because the film industry is like, oh, that sounds exciting. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, well, how did you get into that and why did you switch? It's like um, maybe take us a little bit further back and then we can see how this then a bit more of a context to this story. Okay. Um, I'm going to do the I will tell this story in full at summer camp, but let's let's see how much I can do here with while still keeping some intrigue. Yes. (laughs) I worked in the film industry after university. Um, I trained at Central School of Speech and Drama to do scenic art. And um, that was all about working in theatre. And I was really drawn to this idea of community and family and the kind of environments where it's everyone together. And actually, that has been a huge theme throughout my life. And I haven't really realized it till much, much later that belonging and community were so important to me. But the film industry gave me some of that. It gave me, you know, people who were working hard and playing hard together. And, you know, what happens on location stays on location and, and that kind of vibe. And it was a dream job. And I worked my way up through the industry very diligently and the hours are insane and the culture is one of part you know work hard play hard and I haven't always been the most confident of people naturally and people make lots of assumptions about me and about how sociable I am um and the film industry uh led me to Using more cocaine than is healthy. I mean, I don't know that any cocaine is healthy, but um, it, it was the beginning of a relationship with drugs that enabled me to be more confident and be more sociable and to also do as much as I was doing because it's a really busy life. Um, yeah, there's a lot of responsibility. It's long hours. And actually, those were the things that tipped me into a place of is this it right like it was my dream career but I was exhausted all the time I didn't have a life outside of work I wasn't taking care of myself I wasn't eating properly or sleeping properly and I just wanted there to be there just needed to be something more to life than that Mm. so I hear there was this um underlying need for connection yeah that you you were able to address in this job that I assume was quite social, quite active, um, and it felt like that need was being addressed. Um, but then there were other needs, I'm assuming, that, that needed to be addressed too, that you then used whether it was drugs and, and, and a lifestyle to meet, but wasn't exactly the best way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really, it wasn't the healthiest thing. And then a couple of things happened all at the same time that were, you know, looking back, wonderful. Um, Again, didn't necessarily feel it at the time. But what happened was I was beginning to feel those first pangs of is this it and wanting a deeper sense of connection. And 
perhaps a connection to something bigger than me and and what I now I guess call a a spirituality of some sort but it was starting to come through so I did my yoga teacher training and and what happened at that time was that the writer's strike in America finally kind of came through the pipeline and that means that in 2009 whilst the recession was going on all around the world there also wasn't any work in the film industry and that meant that for the first time in my career I I wasn't working and I I'd had I was very sensible I had three four months of savings and I had my tax money and I had various things but I was also really used to having money and really used to spending it and being the one that was able to be generous and so very, very quickly, I spent my three months money and no more work came. And I spent, I borrowed from my tax money and no more work came. And I was living with two other people in a very nice four bedroom house in Herne Hill. And at the same time, both my housemates got made redundant. And I decided to pay their rent on the credit cards that I had available and still no work came. And then a £16,000 tax bill came through. <laughs> yeah. And so it was a series of events that happened over about six weeks and I buried my head in the sand and, and ended up in a place where a, a prop truck took all my stuff away and I had my car and the things that were in it and I went and stayed with some friends because I didn't have any money for a deposit. I was in a complete mess. I had Barclay Card ringing me about 15 times a day, and it was really full on. Oh my God. And how, um, well, we'll probably go into it and a bit more about how you managed to cope, but in that time, what, what was going through your mind? What were you, how were you feeling? I felt like I was useless and I'd failed. <laughs> and... Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm curious about that because I've only had a recent conversation about a couple of conversations actually, past two podcasts around the idea of struggle and how it, um, for most people, it triggers them to just retreat into themselves. Yeah, yeah it's when this, and so that I am a very, I mean, we're all incredibly interesting people. <laughs> I'm a really interesting person because there are two sides to my personality. I have this very sociable, um, really easily chatty, enjoys the company of others, quite a strong character, always has something to say version of myself. And then there's also the hermit, the one that likes to do things alone, is a bit of a lone wolf, doesn't really know how to, or didn't at that time, know how to express her feelings properly or to be supported or to receive or to be held in any way. I believed I was only lovable if I was helping others. So that that sounds like a lot of energy being spent and not necessarily being replenished. Yeah. Yeah, and I really believed it was all my fault. Like even at that time, I had this strand of responsibility um, going through and I felt like it was my responsibility to not only take care of myself, but to take care of others and that I failed at that. And so I had the weight of all of those things. I felt guilty, I felt ashamed, I felt uh, useless and also it felt very personal Um very permanent and kind of pervasive because it wasn't because I'd made my work my everything I didn't really have anything other than work 
It's uh, it's quite interesting. You um, said before around it sounds like within within the film industry and, and you're working diligently, and it sounded like you were being very um, successful within that career. And then there's this thing about that being quite a lot of your time and energy, and then that question of is this it? Is this all there is? And then this other external event of the financial crisis and the industry sounds like just going through a massive lull and then this whole what that then does to cash flow and then your ability to make money and then and coupled with your own need to make sure mm. other people are held uh maybe with but at the same time it sounds like not being aware of what you need or how you can be held yourself that sounds like a quite a low time. It was. It was quite a low time. And then I had this idea. And, you know, this idea for My Girl Friday had been there for a little while. And the idea was, you know, this was before, like everyone knows what a virtual assistant or a VA is now, but no one did then. And I just had this idea, like, what if mm. I could help people without needing to be with them all the time? Like it genuinely came from mm. this desire to help um, and, and busy people and, and the people I could see around me, you know, so kind of cash, cash rich, time poor, people who wanted someone they could trust to do some things for them and run errands. And I was like, I'm really good at that. And I wouldn't need to be like in people's faces <laughs> all the time. And Twitter had just started and I went and learned, you know, joined up and I, I basically bootstrapped a, an idea and it kind of overlapped with this other time in my life and so when it all fell apart I, ha I had this tiny string of an idea this beginning of a business and actually what's really interesting about it is I you know all it really was to start with was an idea and a, and a brand <laughs> I did it all the wrong way I had a logo a website and an idea and um I started a Twitter account and I met some people because at that time there wasn't very many people on there so it was very easy to actually have conversations and there was one other woman who <laughs> is now one of my best friends um who thought it was a wonderful idea and she really encouraged me and I don't know that I would have carried on with it as uh, in the way that I did if she hadn't been so into it as an idea and thought it was so fantastic and so that's how my girl friday got started and and then my best friend got involved and then it just grew it just grew and so i had uh, within three years of starting i had 17 freelancers working for me in seven countries i um we were winning awards from the outside. Like I created this wonderful thing. It, it, we were really helping people. There really was a need for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was miserable, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by you're at this place where you've got this mounting debt, your energy, you know, you felt like you failed, but you still had the drive or energy or or maybe it was just pure necessity to just start a new business despite everything it sounds like was against you you know you didn't have any capital to start you didn't have necessarily a clear business model you just had an idea but you still went ahead and i would say a majority of people were going 
what the uh, how? Because, Carlos, I'm completely unemployable, what? right? Like the idea of having a job <laughs> and reporting to somebody else and kind of sitting around twiddling my thumbs for eight hours and looking busy so that I can get a paycheck. Like I re- and I remember going into the into the like to get job seekers allowance, which was still a thing then. And eventually I was like, okay, I'm going to go sign on. And they were like, you should have done this months ago. And I was like, well, you're going to pay me such a measly amount of money. And then you're going to ask me to pay it back as soon as I get like a job where a freelance gig. And so the whole thing, the whole system to me was crazy. I wasn't the crazy one. Everyone else was. It's, uh, and it sounds like you, well, there's that whole part of it feels to me there's this very intrinsic yeah. entrepreneurial mindset in terms of I'm gonna I'm gonna make things happen uh, because yeah. uh, no one else is going to for me, but also being in a place of where you just need to do it. Well, where, where other people I think might just surrender and just blame life and have other people try and bail them out. You were like, okay, I I just need to pick up my bootstraps and do this yeah I still have that attitude now and sometimes uh clients come to me and they think I'm gonna go oh I'm so sorry that you're in this mess life is horrible isn't it and I don't I'm like I'm so sorry you're in this mess life is horrible and what are you gonna do about it (laughs) well that's it I think that's it it's and people I think too many people feel disempowered for whatever reason and I think we'll go into some of that in a bit um, but it sounds like you you built another successful venture, mm-hmm. uh, your own venture. Uh, from the outside, it sounded very successful, but I'm sure there's more to that than than the the status and the monetary success. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I really was miserable. I had at that time no real self awareness and no real understanding of my values, what was really going to make me happy. And and that's the biggest difference between now and then, right? So then I built a business at the, at the centre of my life, and I fit myself into the cracks around it. And now I have created a life that I love, and my business fits into the cracks around it. And so this sounds to me now giving kind of painting a picture around this idea mm. of adulting of the where the priorities are and also who drives uh, who's in the driving seat of your life for want of a better term. Yeah. And it sounded like with um, the film career and Michael Friday, um, the there were other people or other things in the driving seat there and you had to basically, you were on as a passenger and there's a, there was a change. It's really interesting though, because from the outside, like if I, I still think if anyone had, anyone that knew me then would never have looked at me and thought, oh, she's a passenger mm. of life, <laughs> right? They just wouldn't. I mean, you met me then. Yeah. Was that a thought that you had about me? No, no, I thought you were, yeah, like you said, you, everything you said, you were outgoing, you seemed quite driven, you seemed quite clear, um, yeah, very extroverted. And so you thought, no, not, this isn't a passive person. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and a lot of the people that I work with are in a similar position, right, where from the outside, they are really good chameleons. They're really good at showing up and they're really good at giving 
uh, it's almost like they believe there's an, they're being watched. And and I, because I had this right, I like I knew that people were watching, and I was giving them a show. And then I would go home mm. and just fall apart, and I cried myself to sleep every night for at least a year. And so you said you know, you were giving a show. You were you were playing a character or a, yeah. filling a role. I was. I had I had a whole character. It's really interesting because these days I work with alter egos and really step into creating, you know, a healthy alter ego that can assist you in stepping into your vision and stepping into the dream and the life that you want to live. But then I had the most unhealthy alter ego. Um, and what's so fascinating about that to me is it's it's she's a very similar character now. So I'm going to explain. I used to have this image in my head of a sassy, tattooed Mary Poppins. <laughs> and that was who I tried to be every day. I can definitely see that vision in the pictures that I've seen of you. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Like I wanted to be practically perfect in every way. Mm. And now, now my alter ego is is Mary the Maven and it is Mary Poppins. She's still in there, but it's with like a sense of irony and a knowing that practically perfect isn't possible. Mm. Actually, that's interesting there. And this is, I feel for someone listening who is, who, who feels the need to create this persona of someone who is unperturbed and knows what has their shit together, is a perfect adult. Um, how there, what I hear you saying is there's a power in accepting some of this vulnerability. Oh my God, yes. Right. Like, I truly believe that losing control and, my, and not having a house was one of the best things that ever happened to me. It taught me hum- humility. I, I got the opportunity to be humble and to ask for help and to receive it in a way that I absolutely would not have been on track to do otherwise. Mm. And it's, um, it's, it's, you mentioned burnout and breakdown. Um, I, and when I think of those things, with those words in the past, I would think about weakness and just not strong enough. But um, the phrase uh, that springs to mind these days is kind of is, is a dissolution of the ego. It's like this melting away of, of maybe this character or this person that you think you are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I, I think that the... You know, that's where the kind of spiritual component of my life or my work comes in, I suppose. You know, I, I believe that the universe is here to support us and, and and that we have chosen to have a human experience as a spiritual being and that, you know, this isn't about religion or dogma or any of those things. I just, whatever words you use, you know, you can use whatever words you want and that's really okay. It's just about this connection to something greater and that we've got this opportunity to live and that life is about uh, curiosity over expectation and really playing with what is available to us and trying stuff out and yeah all of the time we can choose to see the things that are the things that are happening in our life as something that is happening to you mm-hmm. 
or something that's happening for you. Mm. And I really believe that burnout and breakdown happened for me to enable me to see things that I wasn't otherwise seeing, to, to give me new opportunities and another path to walk down. And I, in terms of a journey, there's, and relating to this idea, this, this, this curiosity, uh, and I think relating to this idea of um, letting go of control, I'd say accepting uncertainty. Um, many of us, I definitely myself, grew up with a strong uh, sense of my identity, um, which was great in terms of creating a sense of confidence and knowing who I am, but also I discovered created a sense, also a clear set of limitations and boundaries that I didn't feel like could cross or, or ceilings that I couldn't go above because this is me and this is how I am. And so I can't do these things because that's the kind of person I am. Yeah. And, and it sounds like that losing of control, losing control or letting go of control is, is letting go of those um, tethers. You know, we're, we're anchored to the ground in a certain place, but what you're sounding like is like everything is here is for your benefit in some way. And, and it's about, yeah. approaching it with curiosity yeah but do you know what like you just reminded me when I was living it when I was going through that particular part of my life I remember my brother who I am very close to and who is two and a half years younger than me um he said to me oh my god it must be so freeing to just not be attached to anything and I was like fuck off <laughs> it's so horrible it's like I have nothing to hold me to anything like I'm just not I'm not attached to anything right now. And he was like, I, I, that would be amazing. <laughs> and it's, it's so interesting to me. Uh, just, you know, so much of my work, so much of my story is about reframing because nothing's actually changed. I haven't had a personality transplant. I'm not a different person. Mm. Um, I have just chosen to look at things differently and to reframe what they mean. And so now I'm getting a clearer picture now. Oh, my, from my perspective now, this this concept of adulting, um, where I think we talked earlier about um, the shoulds. Uh, an adult should be this. Uh, an adult does this. An adult takes responsibility in this way. And what I th- where we are now, it feels like um, an adult is able to see things for what they are and not necessarily create stories that don't necessarily exist around events, situations, possibilities. Ultimately, for me, it comes back to the thing that you talked about when we were right at the beginning, which is that choice. You know, when you were a child, you wanted to be an adult so Mm. that you had choice. Mm. Now that you're an adult, you have choice and you get to use it. Mm. (laughs) And so many of us are telling ourselves that we are choiceless, that there is, that we have to do this, that this is the way it's always been done, or that we must do it, or that our family did it, or that it's not available to me. You know, I spent so many years thinking certain things were not available to me because. Mm. And we all have those limitations. You know, we're too old, we're too young. I had a a prospect this morning, a, a lovely woman who I had a conversation with, who said to me in our conversation, I'm, uh, there's one more thing I want to tell you. I'm single, so I have to do everything by myself. 
And I um, I wasn't laughing at her. I was just laughing because I've also got uh, clients who are, you know, in relationships with children who are like, I can't do anything by myself. <laughs> and you know, it just depends where you're sitting, right? Like we've always, you can make excuses or you can see limitation from wherever you're standing, which means that you're also able to change your perspective, shift from like, just move so that you can see things differently. And so I, th- I feel we're now getting into the work you're doing now and the, and the mission that you're on of helping people from going from misfit to maven. So I'm curious to then see how did you go from My Goal Friday to, and I assume that that was the, that was the step from there to here, or was there uh, some intermediate steps? You knew what the intermediate step looked like um hitting complete rock bottom and selling my car and buying a one-way ticket to bali and bali saved my life and it's not how you think <laughs> i arrived in bali and within six weeks of being in bali i had six entrepreneurs as clients and i was making them lots of money <laughs> and uh they were doing great things in the world and they look their lives were amazing and i had put myself back in the role of a martyr and i was miserable <laughs> i remember sitting in a cafe and thinking i'm in paradise and i'm miserable and not only that i recreate like I've recreated everything I had at home and the common denominator here is me and what I realized and what was my defining moment in this business is that I realized that no matter where I went I would be there and I decided to figure out who the fuck I really am and learn to like it maybe even love it or change until I did and that's where I'm at now. I've learned, I've figured out who I am and I've learned to love myself and accept the parts of myself that I initially found unlovable. And that has revolutionized my life. And how, how was that journey? How did you, how did you do that? Were you helped or was this mm. purely off your own back? I... So it's a little bit of both, and that's what I love. I really don't believe in in gurus. I really believe that the teacher appears when we need them, and yet it's our you know our job to take ourselves on that journey and 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 support and help is really important. And you get to ask for that help, right? Because uh, it's it's a huge part of the journey actually to ask for help. So um, I had grown up in a very different way to most people. Um, my parents were both in some way part of the personal development world. Um, my dad was a five rhythms teacher and um, a psychotherapist and had done a lot of shamanic work and Aikido and uh, all sorts of wonderful things. My mum had been involved with Osho in the 70s and um, is a Feldenkrais teacher and a yoga teacher and we moved to Brighton in 1986 and, you know, there's <laughs> I all sorts. I went to a Steiner school. There's so many different bits and pieces. So, so much of that I had been stepping away from and I wasn't interested in and I all I really wanted was normal. Um, and, at, yeah, at that break point, that kind of gap in Bali, I was able to sort of sift through all the truths and the lies and 
all the books I'd read or the therapy I'd had or the stuff I'd heard from my parents and chosen to ignore, uh, all the retreats I'd been on. I'd been running retreats um, as an assistant for years with incredibly wise people. And rather than choosing to uh, just treat it as like, I'm, oh, I'm the logistics girl, I actually just went through all of the wisdom that was already at my fingertips and then started seeking more. Um, and yeah, I realized that what I had been doing as part of my role as an assistant was coaching. And I didn't really have the words for it then. And I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and I ended up going to a two day free event with a coaching academy. And I loved it. And I was told on those days, you're a natural. And I was like, oh, I've been doing this for years. I just didn't know what it was. Um, and so signed up to do their personal performance and small business diploma and really, really enjoyed it and did very well and got a great mark and sort of started what was then the Entrepreneur Enabler and is, is now Misfit Enterprise. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's grown into something else. So we now, I have, there's lots of divisions of the business. I have a shop, I do my art, I write books, I have kids books and I coach and, and, and I'm an advocate and, you know, it's growing and growing and growing, but it's a business that because it's built on my values and because it's built in service of the learning and the work, it gets to evolve and grow with me and I will never ever be stuck, limited or shut by a brand in the same way as I was before. Wow. I get this sense, you know, when you said earlier you got to this point in your film career um, or working in the film industry and saying, okay, is this it? Mm. And then it sounds like from then there was this this journey of just understanding what is it <laughs> and kind of seeking whatever, you know, whether that's explicitly or implicitly. And it sounded like firstly it was implicitly through trying these other the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, then it sounded like you were involved with lots of retreats and supporting other people who did this kind of helping work to then intentionally just going into yourself or on, on deconstructing what was, what was there to understand what it is it that you, where did you really fit or this kind of voyage of discovery of who you were and what your unique contribution would be? Yeah. And you know, the most interest, I mean, one of the, one of the parts of that that's been a real game changer for me is that I wrote my book. So I wrote From Misfit to Maven, the story of ah to ah, and it took me mm. a year and a half to write that book. And I then sat on it for six months and I didn't publish it for six months because my parents didn't want me to. They were scared and they were scared for how it would be received. They were scared for me. Um, and it was a real initiation in a way actually publishing that book is what made me a maven uh putting it out in the world and not m choosing that even if my parents chose to stop loving me and even if they chose to disown me I needed to share this story with others because actually having written it was enough for me personally writing it allowed me to let go of who I was previously and step into a uh, a different version of myself and an adult version of myself, a kind of 2.0 version of myself, but putting it out in the world, something really magical happened. And the first time someone wrote to me and said, I don't know how I got hold of your book, but I did. And I was feeling 
like I might kill myself and I read your book and now I'm not going to I cried for a really long time and I I realized how important words are and how important it is to share our stories wow that's that's uh this word doesn't seem even adequate. This is, that, this is a very startup word. That's validation, <laughs> but actually, that feels that's power. That's powerful. It is powerful to, to be able to know that you can have that impact on someone's life by just being yourself. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? The money is important because it gives us opportunity and freedom, but the meaning is way more important to me. And particularly when you have someone who has felt different and felt like a misfit, felt like you don't fit in, like you're a square peg in a round hole or or whatever most of your life. And then two things happen. One, you realize that for a lot of that, you've been othering yourself rather than actually being othered. But two, when you put your story out in the world and you share it and you take off your camouflage and you show people who you really are and they say, oh my God, you're just like me something really magic happens and so I found community and I've had hundreds upon hundreds of people dm me on instagram send me emails find my number and say we didn't have exactly the same life that wouldn't be possible but I felt exactly the same thank you because I felt like I was the only person who felt that way and that is why I will never stop doing this work I love what I do it's amazing um, you mentioned the othering and being othered. Mm. What does that mean for you? <laughs> I described it yesterday or the day before to someone as, you know, when you're a kid or when you're playing with a kid, you play the these things are the same, these things are different game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we carry on doing that throughout our lives and we decide, oh, I'm the same as you or, oh, I am different. And we decide who who the others are and who we are in and we create community for ourselves and so there are lots of labels that are put on groups of people or segments of society or ways of being that are supposed to give us a sense of identity and and as such a sense of belonging but can also have the ability to other people and by that I mean make people feel that they are alone and that they don't belong so when you other yourself you are you're separating yourself from others and making it sounds like retreating again to yourself and being isolating yeah, yourself and and somehow making um, it the world's fault yeah yeah i, see, I still I do see. it sometimes and then <laughs> <laughs> well you know i i think we it's, it's always i find it very I, i'm very wary of people who are too perfect as you like <laughs> said before <laughs> and um so there's uh it feels like this this journey that you've been on and it sounds like it's the journey of the actually let's put this another way what you have experienced and the transformation that you've gone through and the benefit that is brought to your life is something that you want to bring to others and and it's that um through the book and telling your story and uh describing what i understand is being in a place of not knowing where I fit, othering yourself, to then being in a space where actually you are attracting 
and connecting with other people who think they are othering themselves. <laughs> so essentially you're, you're, you're connecting the others um, and through that helping them on their journey to, to becoming more connected and, and more in tune with who yeah, they are. Yeah, and it's more people than you might think, you know. Like I spent such a long time thinking there aren't very many misfits. I mean, you know, obviously I felt at the beginning like I was the only one, the only person like me. I'm the only person who's ever felt this way. And the truth is that nearly every entrepreneur that I've ever met at some point has felt this way. Um, because if you're on the leading edge, if you're trying to do something different, if you have an idea that hasn't been done before, then you are going to feel alone and you are going to feel isolated. And we don't have to have identical lives or be the same as one another to find commonality and to find belonging. So it's, it's kind of more broad than that. And, you know, now I work with anyone who ident- who self-identifies as a misfit and who often people come to me and they say, you know, I want to work with you because there are loads of coaches out there, but they all seem very cookie cutter and generic and formulaic. And you seem like you're really unique. And part of me wants to say, well, you know, everyone's really unique, but yes, it's, it's, I have made a brand and a point of difference about being different. And so that's also been something really interesting to navigate because I've spent a lot of time not feeling like I had any peers and othering myself at every stage of the journey, right? And going, there's no other entrepreneurs like me. There's no other coaches like me. There really are. And now, and each layer, I have to check with myself still, you know, am I, is this really not available to me? Or am I, I decide, have I decided it's not available to me? And, and what would it look like if it was available to me? And so, yeah, I'm still very yeah. much doing the work, still very much a continuous journey. And and I really believe we do the work that we're here that we need the most or we teach what we're here to learn you know yeah well I think that's where we we learn most by trying to yeah. help others um through that is that whole thing you learn by teaching most of the time um another aspect I think is sort of putting my yeah. business hat on um one of the things you know that we talk about a lot of the happy startup school is is defining your mm. uniqueness you know what is it that that, as Seth Godin puts it, makes yeah. you remarkable. Um, so on one level, you can take uniqueness to the to the extreme, and you're so unique, and no one wants to work with you because no one can relate to you. But there's an aspect that I think what you're doing and what you talk about is really tuning into what you believe in, telling the authentic stories about what you go through and what you want to create. Uh, and trusting that actually there are other people that have that same experience or living that same experience. And because of that, they connect more deeply to you as someone who can help them. Not so much about, oh, it's a Facebook group and a coaching call and this in the month, this length program, but more about this person feels and has experienced the emotions and scenarios and situations i'm going through yeah yeah and i've got some people in my community who have been with me since the very beginning in 2014 and uh, when i started coaching and and have watched my offers evolve watched my brand evolved have signed up for every new thing i've put out you know i feel incredibly incredibly fortunate but i i also want everyone listening to know that that's what happens when you are when you create that kind of brand you get the you know 
loyal raving fans who just want to be in your orbit and enjoy it all you know it's it's kind of special and I I genuinely never thought I'd have a business that felt this good on the inside you know I'm very much about helping people to create a business mm-hmm. that feels as good on the inside as it perhaps looks on the outside and I hadn't I I sought it I desired it I longed for it I yearned for it but I had no idea that it was actually possible for me yes there's it's that belief it feels like that's the thing that can hold a lot of people back is having that that belief that something is possible, which which I, it sounds like this is the this is the work that you're doing is creating that in, in a belief and in a clarity. Um, it's quite I'm quite curious about also your take on business because um, there's a, I've had a, another conversation around the idea of. So as a creative entrepreneur, would you would you Absolutely. be happy to cla- be class yourself as a creative entrepreneur? As a creative entrepreneur, you you work from the inside out. This is a generalization, but generally we work from the inside out. You know, we have something that we're channeling, we want to create and put out to the world. Um, but there's another aspect to the practicalities of business is that um, how that's received or how that lands with people is is something to be aware of. And there's this idea that you can create as much as you like, but if it doesn't resonate, if that does not reach the people that mm-hmm. you, it needs to reach, but you know, don't speak their language, then there will be a challenge for you to make that business sustainable. And so this idea of there's an outside-in aspect to this where you also have to listen and talk to and understand the needs and motivations of the people you want to help. So I'm curious whether that's, you've been purely mo- um, driven by a kind of a instinctive entrepreneurial um, energy or whether you've also had a more strategic way of looking at things. One of the things that I have learned about myself is that I am very evenly split in the kind of inside out outside in or you know masculine energy feminine energy or like doing and being or artist and entrepreneur like I have this yin yang quality to myself which is Mm. has been both a blessing and a curse in my life right um and I've chosen and learned how to harness and use it in my business and so one of the things I talk a lot about with my clients is the artist versus the entrepreneur and an artist just creates and makes and creates and makes and people might buy it (laughs) you know and you could be hanging Mm. on to pieces for a very long time until somebody suddenly sees it and goes that's for me and they and they take that right and the motivation of the artist is purely that inside out I must release this creation into the world and the entrepreneur like right at the other end of the spectrum and it is a spectrum is focused entirely on what selves and what people want and what there is a market need for and value for and and following you know trends and patterns and and that kind of thing and I think that personally I and creative entrepreneurs sit nearer the artist end of the spectrum and often we need to check Mm -hmm. in with ourselves like is there a need for this do people really want it And so I help a lot of my clients to validate first and to sell something first. And a lot of them really need to get over this idea that they need to make it in its entirety before they even sell one. Like, please don't do that. 
please mm. sew on and then make <laughs> it, please. Um, so that yeah, it's a really interesting conversation, and I believe it's a spectrum. And in my own business, um, one of the things I've done to alleviate the prolific artist who gets very frustrated um, is to have created the Misfit Maven Me uh, shop. So I now have my own merch stand that I am allowed to make paintings and create one-off projects and do collaborations and really have fun with. Um, as long as stock mm. doesn't fill, go any further than my office, it's I'm allowed to make it. And then my main business offering is still Misfit to Maven and is our community and my uh, my my program there where people can join at different levels and um that means that our market message is very clear and what's going out into the world is clear and that doesn't change and it has consistency and um the part of me that gets bored with that can still go and play in the shop and make things no i like I, that's really helpful and i think because i'm particularly thinking of the, the people who listen to this podcast and our community i would say are like you more towards the creative end of that spectrum yeah um and actually the the kind of the data-driven market-driven opportunity-seeking uh end of that that way of doing can can put people off or just de-energize them and demotivate them because it takes them away from that creative that creative spark within them or that creative aspect of them so there's a it sounds like what the way you've tackled it is you're still business focused and you're still very conscious of how this way of working uh, or creating a business, what it entails at a practical level, but you found a release for your creativity in the art that you're creating and, and also selling. Yeah. <laughs> and before, before this year and before that very clear delineation and the decision to do it in that way, I confused my audience. I put stuff out that made absolute sense to me um, but and, and probably made sense to the people that were watching and listening 24-7 and have following me my every move and listening to my podcast and listen, reading my emails every week. But to the majority of people who were just coming across me, there was a new program and a new this and a new iteration and it was generative and now we were doing this and that was wonderful from from my perspective but I hadn't quite found that balance I feel very confident and comfortable now um really understanding and having found a way that works for me and it's, it's so interesting because I've been able to help other people with this for a long time and really help them focus or pick the one thing that's going to create the cash so that they can also have their passion projects but it took me quite a long time to reach that place in my own business and then I see the, that c word cash <laughs> Our relationship to it and how we do deal with it, and how we how we um, how it's used. Um, I think you mentioned earlier before. It's like you know the money. Money is the is going to be the key thing that keeps us going and sustains us. But it isn't the all important thing. While the mean, meaning is important, but also don't forget the money or don't neglect that or don't put a judgment on it. As what I understand you, the way you look at it, to to so that it goes away. It's like it's it's still a part of how this way of working needs to work for now for me if there's meaning and money we're winning <laughs> um, mm. yeah meaning on its own wonderful but it's not going to pay my mortgage or 
you know, or any of the other things, or allow me to support the charities and the causes and the philanthropic things that I would like to do as well. And I, I, I really believe that we must get rid of the idea that good people don't have money because it's mm. so unhelpful, <laughs> so unhelpful. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's, that's the, when I, when you painted that picture of the spectrum of, the creative and I would say soul-driven, purpose-driven entrepreneur on one end and then the kind of the hard-nosed, money-focused entrepreneur on the other end is that those people who are on the the creative end, they, they have this the judgment, such a strong judgment about money that they push it away. And so where you're, you know, you're, you're not, you know, you're, you have that appreciation that actually money is good as well. <laughs> It actually helps, and earning a lot of money isn't a problem. It's it's more a case of why you want to earn it and what you do with it. I say, I assume is, is your perspective. Yeah, money is not a problem. It's an amplifier, and I again, we get to reframe how we see it. Money is an amplifier, and that's all it's going to do. And so, it will amplify whatever is whatever is underneath whatever is going on so if you're a really good person you'll still be a really good person with a greater capacity taking up more space and with much more energy in the world so to um we could go on for ages on this i think there's there's so much that we could dive into (laughs) i'm glad we get to hang out for a whole weekend (laughs) i'll be fun it'll be so much fun um oh gosh i'm looking forward to it um so uh you're going to be joining us at summer camp i am um it's great to, to have you there. Um, I am looking forward to your tour. Um, is so. Um, is there anything you would like to share just to whet people's appetites, or have we done that already by talking, having this conversation so far? I hope we've whetted people's appetites. There's, um, I. What else were we? We were going to talk about the seven misconceptions, but we've totally missed our opportunity to do that. But I can always give it away as a free gift. So I have a kind of the seven secrets to a Maven mindset ebook, which mm. really kind of goes through the, those core limiting beliefs um, that are keeping most people stuck in survival mode. And I share seven powerful secrets to living a rich life full of joy and purpose. And yeah, it's it's all of the kind of the key things that I learned and the the kind of lies and the truths that I figured out when I was in that place in Bali and have subsequently, you know, really fleshed out and made into pillars of practice. And yeah, I'm really I, I'm always happy to to share those with people and um I'm also really open to talking to people. So if anyone does come to some camp, like come and say hello. I love conversations one-on-one. I find groups difficult, but one-on-one, you're <laughs> always welcome to come and talk to me. Uh, well, there's lots of places for, for nice uh, conversations one-on-one, whether it's in the middle of the field or by the campfire. Um, or if, if you get up early enough, maybe in the sauna. Oh, or so in the fun. Hotel. I'm so excited. <laughs> Oh my god! I, I thought it'd be interesting yes. to leave people. With. Um, <laughs> could you paint a picture of what it is like now for you today? What mm. What does a day of in the life of Ebony look like? And um, 
Yeah, and how does that feel for you now? Because you said that you know you feel like you're in the you're in the right place now. You're in the right space. So this morning, <laughs> uh, I got up and I have an altar in the garden mm. that I am adding an offering to every day at the moment and sharing some kind of message with. So I got up and went out in bare feet and said hello to the day and did that. And then I jumped in my car and drove to the outdoor swimming pool that is near my house and went for a swim. Um, And then I came back and I journaled and had some breakfast and a cup of coffee. And then I today had a day of calls. So I like to batch so that I'm not cross-processing and having to be in a different brain. Um, So today mostly looks like sitting at my desk in my office that looks over Somerset um, and the Bristol Channel. And I am recording this with you. I did uh, had a sales call before this. I've got a two-hour session with a client later. Um, and I will go out with some friends this evening. So it's a mixture, a real mixture. And, and some days don't look like that. Some days are admin and some days I go uh, and work from somewhere else. Um, and I also really like to travel. So, so far this year, I've spent six weeks in Bali and six weeks in Spain in different chunks, not all at the same time in Spain. Um, and I sometimes go over to my pet. My parents just bought a place in Wales, so I go over there. Um, and I really enjoy having both a home and a location-independent business that means I can work from anywhere. Well, and that sounds like a universe away from that film industry life and sleeping in your car. <laughs> and It really is. And that most often there's no alarm clock. And most often I am not an early bird anymore. I really didn't enjoy the getting up at 5am part of being in the film industry. That's a contrast. And, And it sounds all coming, the root of it feels like it's this journey of self knowledge, and then understanding what your unique contribution can be to other people's lives. Absolutely. For me, it is connecting in always with a sense of freedom, belonging, uh, kind of wildness or uninhibitedness, and also this sense of duty or truth. And those are my core values. And, and the way that I teach values is very much around energy and tapping into that energy and that way of being. And so those qualities of energy exist in every single thing that I do. And if they're not available in the thing that I'm doing, then I need to choose, do I want to be doing this thing? Can I say no to it? Or how do I make it fit my values more and have more of the energy that I desire? Cool. And so to end on, uh, this is kind of the shameless promotion part. Um, Firstly, Mm. uh, I'm curious, if you could pick the type of person that you would, you love to work with, do you have like a kind of a, a clear picture of who that would be? Always, yes. <laughs> um, I love working with anyone who comes my way who identifies as a misfit, but I also um, tend to work with women who are, and it does tend to mostly be women, although really I, I work with men as well and, and anyone in a gender is completely kind of irrelevant, I suppose, but it tends to mostly be women in their early 40s who are feeling that sense of is this it, who have a kind of a guilt or a a sense of like first world problems about their lives like it it all looks good there's nothing wrong 
but they, they find themselves in a transition and they'd like there to be a deeper sense of purpose and be able to be of greater service in the world whilst really taking care of themselves and getting to be their true and authentic self and they desire um, adventure and to live a life less ordinary and to really figure out what their extraordinary world looks like awesome and if uh, people want to find out more about what you do and if do you have anything well places to point them and is there anything that's coming up other than summer camp of course that you'd like to make people aware of ebonyallard.com and for those of you who don't know it's e-b-o-n-i-e allard and i'm always on instagram and i've got some really fun collaborations so i just uh did a collaboration with a friend who has an underwear company called lucky so and so um and so we have a limited edition misfit lucky misfit undies out at the moment and they are all made to measure and using cut cutoffs from the fast fashion industry so everything is sustainable and done in a way that is it's all made um by carly and her mum in spain and so i love that i get to do collaborations like that and we've got a few more coming out before christmas as well awesome and uh is it on instagram is it just ebony allard one word or absolutely is yeah brilliant well everyone check that out thank you very much for for spending this time with me uh looking forward to spending a weekend with you in september and yeah i'm also looking forward to connecting a bit more it feels like that we have found ourselves in a similar kind of world and universe in terms of uh and wavelength so we should be connecting more often i would love that carlos thank you so much Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School community podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, then check out our website, thehappystartupschool.com. If you believe that there's more to life and business than making money and waiting for retirement, and if you want to surround yourself with other like-minded change makers and entrepreneurs who want to make money, do good and be happy, then please come join our community. We offer courses, conversations and content that will help you follow your own path to success. Whether you're just starting out, struggling to grow your business, or in a position of leadership and trying to work out what's next. There's no reason to face these challenges alone when you can be supported by people like you who want you to succeed. And from Friday the 13th to Sunday the 15th of September, we're hosting our Happy Startup Summer Camp. While we know that strictly isn't summer, the event also isn't just for startups. At its core, Summer Camp is about learning, play and friendship. We want to promote personal growth in business. We advocate holding our work lightly so that we can be more creative. And we know that we can't create impact on our own. We need to work with others that give us energy and support. As well as inspirational talks, we've got activities and experiences such as Blingo Bingo, Botanical Brew Making, Yoga, Mindful Raving, Saunas, Hot Tubs, Lake Swimming, Japanese Soul Fighting, Qigong Breathing and Dancing. Lots of dancing. To find out more about Summer Camp, please go to happystartupsummer.camp. Business doesn't have to be boring and it definitely shouldn't be lonely. I hope you can find your tribe with us this September.